This is PWTorch.com editor Wade Teller along with PWTorch VIP audio analyst Todd Martin. This is The Fix with Todd Martin recorded Wednesday, February 8th, 2017. This is part one of God knows how many. And uh, Todd, welcome to your show. Wade, nah, never mind. <laughs> We're off to a flying start. Um, all right, uh, in one open-ended question. What surprise, is there something that surprised you the most on Raw or SmackDown this week related to post-Rumble, Road to WrestleMania, Fastlane, Elimination Chambers? They're kind of a top item from the last two shows that, that surprised you or jumps out. Well, I don't know if those are necessarily the same questions. I mean, I, I like, it, it, it doesn't jump out as like particularly important, but when I'm thinking about it, the thing that might have surprised me the most was just that they made a handicap match with a heel against two baby faces. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that one. That one sort of stood out to me. Yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously, I don't think that's going to be a big deal, um, in the big picture, even if it's sort of baffling in terms of the, uh, in terms of the planning standpoint. As far as the big stuff, I mean, the Owens, Jericho, Goldberg stuff was, you know, along the lines of what, what one would expect. Um, you surprised you know, Goldberg, when, Goldberg's getting a title shot? No, no, I was expecting that. And, uh, oh, good. Yeah. Go Sorry. Let, let, uh, well, finish your list. Finish your list. I want to elaborate on Goldberg a little bit before we move on. But anything else that you were thinking of? Mentioned? Oh yeah, I mean, I was just sort of thinking off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't have necessarily predicted what they did with Joe, but I mean, it was within the ballpark of what I would expect. And then the SmackDown stuff with the Elimination Chamber was pretty, you know, pretty much what one would expect. It. So yeah, I mean, not not a terribly surprising week for me. So with with Goldberg uh, getting the title shot, what do you expect to happen? A lot of people, I mean, I think the average year out there is going, well, Goldberg squashed Lesnar. Um, he's on a hot run. I could see the Lesnar-Goldberg match, main eventing Mania being for a title. It certainly makes more sense than Jericho and Owens you know, having a title shot when they aren't really being treated as top, top guys. Um, and then there's the other train of thought, which is, what the hell are they going to do if Goldberg fights Lesnar at Mania and a title is on the line? It it, it leads to longer-term ramifications after Mania because now you have to worry about who has the belt and who they lose it to and defend it against. So it's led to some a lot more speculation than if it was just, yeah, Goldberg-Lesnar, that's the match. We're going to talk about it for the next nine weeks. So what's uh, what do you think they're going to do at Fastlane, or what are the different courses they could go with that? Um, I expect Goldberg to, to squash Owens at Fastlane. Um, not for any reason in terms of it necessarily making sense or not making sense. Just that's what I'd heard. So yeah. that's what I'm expecting. Um, <laughs> yeah. As far as the, the courses of action, I mean, it seems to me there are four things they could do. One is Goldberg squashes Owens. Two is Goldberg is, you know, getting the better of Owens and Jericho gets involved and it's a DQ or some sort of contested finish. Three is Goldberg is getting the best of Owens and, uh, Goldberg, uh, Goldberg, Lesnar comes out and involves himself and costs Goldberg the match, probably not via pin, but you know, like a, you know, count out or something. Um, and four is Goldberg and Owens are going back a little bit and then Jericho gets involved. It backfires and Owens loses because of that. So, I mean, I think those are sort of your, your courses of action. You know, the, the Jericho getting involved is the one that I think would be intended to protect both guys. If Lesnar gets involved there, you're just sort of setting up WrestleMania. You're not giving Goldberg as much protection. Goldberg wins. You're just trying to build up Goldberg Lesnar as big as you can by giving as much bells as whistles, uh, bells and whistles to it as you can while sacrificing, um, Owens for that goal. And if, uh, if Jericho and, and, and Owens, if Jericho costs 
Owens the match, you're giving Goldberg something. You're not giving him quite as much um, with the goal of also benefiting the uh, the Jericho Owens program. So I think those are your, your basic possibilities. Wade's left the room. It's sad he doesn't listen to me, people. This is what I deal with every week. No, uh, you know, he expects me to go I, for 45 I, minutes, and I, then he goes and does the laundry. I, I, and then at some point, he's like, wait a second, Todd, stop talking. I need to get over here. There's just times that I'm either sighing or, you know, and I like to hit the mute button to, to, to let you go on. <laughs> so disgusted with my response. <laughs> yes. That is the that is the dumbest goddamn thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Let me try to compose myself for a moment. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. That's yeah, fair. and then I just kind of forget uh, forget to unmute it. Um, of the scenarios, Todd, that that you brought up, is there one that that you would vote for, and is there or, or more, and is there one that concerns you, including what you think is the more likely option of just Goldberg squashing Owens? I mean, it's a it's a it's a difficult choice. Um, because you know Owens can end up hurt by it, but the last thing you want to do is weaken Goldberg's the 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 the, the image of just him being this dominant force, even at you know age fifty. Uh, this dominant force, you don't want him doing an even Stephen match with Owens. That would be absolutely ridiculous at this point, wouldn't it? Um, uh, I mean, in the context of what they're doing, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I hate questions like that in the sense that no, no, no. I mean, no, no offense to you. I mean, it's sort of a natural question that arises. But like, we're you know we're in the middle of the story that they've already laid out. So my reaction is naturally you know dealing with the goals that they've already set forth. And so it's it's a very it's it's sort of difficult because my goals in a different scenario would be very different, but the scenario they've laid out isn't geared towards those goals. I mean, one of my primary goals, if I'm laying this thing out, this thing, WrestleMania season out, is to get Owens to a higher level, because I think very highly of Owens. I think he's been too much of a comedy figure, and I think building him up in, in adding physical credibility to him, making him a real force, um, and not just somebody that's entertaining, I think could pay real dividends in the years to come and building up like a legit main event player as opposed to just a guy who's there. But when you ask a question about whether it wouldn't really make sense for him to be involved in a 50-50 match with Goldberg, it really wouldn't in the way that he's been framed to this point. But if we're thinking in sort of the abstract, which I guess we sort of are at the point that you're asking me to, you know, what would you do? Then, you know, that seems much more of a possibility to me because I think there's I think there's much more money in, in Kevin Owens going forward than Bill Goldberg. I don't think Vince McMahon would agree um, at all in spite of Goldberg's limited shelf life, but that that's my view. Um, but you have to actually make people think of him in a higher light in order to do that. So if you're asking me to sort of lay out how to do it, I mean, I, I would be very much focused on keeping Owens as strong as I can. But here's the thing. There isn't a, and this goes to what I was just saying about like the scenario that's there. There isn't in my view, like a scenario that really is, is good for Kevin Owens in a big way at WrestleMania. I mean, Owens and Jericho is fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Although I'd keep them together, but it's not something that's going to really take Owens to that next level. Like, you know, setting up a match for, you know, Kevin Owens versus Brock Lesnar or the undertaker or, you know, whoever, whoever it would be, um, triple H. Um, so, I mean, I, I suppose you could still set up a triple H match, but I think, I think they're planning for, for Rollins to come back. So it's, it's sort of difficult to lay it out given like that they've already 
got of other a bunch of other pieces. And clearly, the way that they've laid out the board, the the thing that matters the most is Goldberg and Lesnar. Um, you're not going even if you had aspirations of making Owens and something more important. The thing that's going to matter the most to WrestleMania is Goldberg and Lesnar, and so it makes sense to protect Goldberg and Lesnar as much as possible and make it feel as important as possible. Now, does the the title mean does the title mean that much more in the context of that feud? Probably not. I think it's probably about the same whether the title is involved or not involved. But in order to not get the title on Goldberg, you have to soften him up a little bit. Even if it just means he destroys Kevin Owens, but there's some sort of a DQ, that's still a step back from him destroying Brock Lesnar two times out. So you got to take that into, into account. I, I don't know that there's like a, a great scenario. Yeah. Given what they're given what they're aiming, I don't I don't have any problem with Goldberg just beating Kevin Owens in relatively quick fashion. I won't be upset if that's what they do. I I understand why they would do that, even if you know I, I'd be thinking of things. Um, you know, differently if I'm sort of taking like five steps back and looking at the, you know, surveying the, the landscape. It, it is hard if you're Kevin Owens to go, wait a second, you're squashing me. That's going to hurt. You know, and not, not that anybody necessarily feels they have the, the latitude to even speak up anymore about those types of things. When wrestlers floated from territory to territory and worked Japan and, and the United States and they were worried about, you know, what, you know, how things would play in Japan, they, you know, can make their arguments and various wrestlers have done that over the years. But, now it's sort of like, eh, you know, if you're Kevin Owens, you kind of got to know your place and not not speak up too much. But if he were to take offense, the comeback is, did you watch Survivor Series? Do you think Brock Lesnar lost his drawing power or by by losing the way they did it to Goldberg? If if he's willing to do a job like that, who are you to complain? But I would counter and go, yeah, but Brock Lesnar's freaking Brock Lesnar. The idea, as as Paul Heyman sold it, Goldberg has his number, but Brock's a former UFC heavyweight champion, a perennial top, top guy, and he destroyed Randy Orton. Kevin Owens' response would be, how about you let me destroy Randy Orton, or somebody at his level, um, first, and, you know, and put me in a, a, a role where it seems like a fluke that I lose to Goldberg that way, as opposed to Goldberg's just that much better than me. That's my fear with, with Owens, is the Lesnar comparison, even though I think that would be a comeback, doesn't really hold up. I think Owens has more to lose losing to Goldberg that way than Lesnar did. Even though, you know, it's a, it's it's for Lesnar it 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 weakens his sense of invulnerability. But it's a it's a very particular distinct storyline with Owens. It would just be like, yeah, Owens isn't in his league. Um, is that does it do damage to Owens? Even though you're kind of conceding that scenario. Does that do damage to Owens in a way that is that that will stay with him for a while, despite their rationale for doing it? I don't think any one individual uh, program, uh, sort of in, in, at this stage of somebody's career, is something that makes a big difference. I, I'm I'm a big believer in the idea of of first impressions, and when you bring a guy in, that you protect them for a while. And that's a way that you can make people view them as not just somebody that we like to see, but somebody that's special and somebody where the wins and losses for this person matters because they don't lose all that often. So the stakes are there for all of their matches. And so maybe if you go back to that, you know, Kevin Owens, John Cena match, you know, the, 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 the matches they had, the, the second match and the rubber match. Um, there, I think you could start talking about something that could make a big difference, but at this st stage in time, I don't 
you know, they're not close to making Kevin Owens like a legitimate player. Um, you know, he's sort of a character on the show that people like, but he's not a, a difference maker. And, and I don't, I don't think that really changes much at all. Um, with him losing to Goldberg or, or not losing to Goldberg. I mean, maybe if he beat Goldberg clean, that would make a difference, you know, in terms of the way people perceived him. But I mean, clearly that's not where they're going with this. And as far as him versus Brock Lesnar, I mean, the clear difference there, well, I mean, there are a bunch of differences, but I mean, one of the, the, the big differences is that the, the loss to Lesnar is part of a larger story between Goldberg and Lesnar. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. I certainly expect it to, to conclude with Lesnar defeating Goldberg. Um, whereas, you know, Goldberg defeating Owens would not be leading up to a program down the line where Owens and Goldberg, you know, I don't think, uh, Goldberg and Owens re-engage and, and, you know, settle their issue. It would be, you know, he would be a stepping stone on the way to, um, to Goldberg versus Lesnar, which, is a sort of thing that's perfectly fine in wrestling. You've just got to choose which guys are the stepping stones and which guys are the guys you're building to properly. Um, and I, I think Goldberg and, and Lesnar are the guys properly that should be at the end. I just think that there, there are a bunch of other people who should be viewed in that light as well that aren't really, you know, from, from Owens to, you know, AJ Styles who, you know, lost again this week, uh, to somebody who isn't in his league as a, uh, as a uh, as a marketable star on Goldberg Lesnar, um, do you see? So, do you think Lesnar beats Goldberg at Mania, or and and Goldberg's farewell match at WrestleMania is a loss, and Lesnar walks out as champion? And if not that, what are alternative directions you think that they could go realistically in with that? I think Lesnar, I think Lesnar beats him, um, but that's not the end of Goldberg. They bring back Goldberg to do some other stuff. I think they like what they're doing with Goldberg right now. Um, and I think, I think given what they've done thus far, they may be tempted to have Goldberg just beat Brock Lesnar again and, you know, have him, Goldberg go into something else and, you know, try to use him to elevate somebody else like a Roman Reigns. And then just have Brock Lesnar go off on, you know, the story that they're sort of telling right now of him sort of spiraling out of control. And he can, I mean, it, it, I, I think it's a perfectly fine scenario if they did it that way because you can then do the exact same story with Brock Lesnar where Brock Lesnar is looking for vindication against somebody else. And rather than go, coming against Goldberg, it just comes against somebody else. And that match then has the same sort of stakes the last match did of, of Lesnar needing to sort of rebound from this and to build himself up. And it's going to happen um, with him destroying somebody else and, and reaffirming himself. And then Goldberg, you can use him to get somebody else over as opposed to sort of returning Goldberg and Lesnar right to their, to the places they were originally. I mean, now that I'm, now that I'm sort of mapping out my head, I feel like there actually is a pretty darn good argument for Goldberg just beating Lesnar again at WrestleMania. Although I, I'm really, I, I think he, either way is, is 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 justifiable can can you go too far in telling the story that goldberg has lesnar's number to the point that uh, it almost loses some it loses some drama or lesnar starts looking weak even if he gets beats up somebody else shortly thereafter i mean is is the way he got tossed out at the rumble and losing at survivor series does that does then losing perhaps similarly at wrestlemania just become almost not groan inducing but like Okay, give us something new, and it loses believability. I certainly don't think it loses believability. As far as people groaning, um, I, mean, I guess maybe. I mean, I, I guess you know it could have sort of a feeling of of, uh, of repetition. Or give I mean, us I a guess, match, damn it! 
thinking about the title, well, I mean, I think if you did that, you would give more of a match. I mean, you wouldn't do it exactly the same way. So you'd yeah. have Lesnar succeed more than he did the last two times out, but then Goldberg beats him again. And the fact they're involving the title, to me, that would mitigate against what you're talking about, which is that what is different about this match other than, you know, Lesnar getting in more offense? Well, if it's for the title, then there's added stakes. It's not just Goldberg doing the same thing. Now he's captured the title on top of defeating Brock Lesnar. Um, so that adds, you know, distinction to, um, to that particular match that would, you know, work against the concern you have. Um, okay. So if Lesnar wins the championship, Goldberg, loses at Mania, what do you like in terms of as follow-up for them, for each of them? By the way, we're, I feel like we're go, we're going to this too early. We've still got two months. We're going to be like, and we've mapped out the whole thing. It's yeah, like, eh, yeah. we don't really have anything more to say. Um, uh, I'd, I'd have to... I think with Goldberg, yeah. with Goldberg, you'd want something more short-term because you don't want to have the title on Goldberg for a longer period of time. So if Goldberg were to win the title... At Wrestle, uh, win the title rather at Elimination Chamber, defends it at WrestleMania against Brock Lesnar. I think you're looking at Goldberg losing the title at one of the first pay-per-views to a rising young star. Now, I mean, the ideal would be, <laughs> here we go again, Roman Reigns turns heel, not expecting mm-hmm. it, um, yep. particularly given what they've been doing. You know, he, he beats Undertaker to get a lot of heat at WrestleMania, and then he beats Goldberg, um, to, uh, to win the title afterwards, and you've really put a lot of heat on the guy at that point, and then you set up somebody to chase uh, Roman Reigns, and then Goldberg comes back for a special attraction match later on against somebody else that's just a you know a star that people like to see. You do something like that, and then Brock Lesnar, it's you know Brock Lesnar's crazed, out of control, destroying people, and you set him up for sort of a you know sort of a special attraction match down the line against you know whoever whoever. Um, you think of in, in that sort of capacity, whether it's a guy like Samoa Joe, um, you know, sort of a badass that would sort of be a, a test for him, or I mean, who else would who else would make sense in that in that capacity? Um, not a lot of guys in RAW are jumping out immediately, but I'm sure there are some guys that would that would fit that that role. Okay, yeah, and, and as you're giving the answer, I just didn't know if, as we're kind of talking about the finishes, and you talked about in more generic terms, if you kind of thought, hey, maybe this seems like it's kind of an obvious way to go that'll lead to some positives if they go this direction. And if you had some people in mind and you just weren't going, you know, just weren't being specific just to not narrow it down. But um, it's also just as people try to figure out what can they do for the finish, part of deciding what finish you kind of want to see is, well, is there some good follow-up that'll make it make sense? So let me, let me, I want to switch to Elimination Chamber hype because you brought up uh, Styles jobbing or losing to Baron Corbin. It was a multi-person match. It was after he was uh, distracted. He wasn't, you know, just focused on Baron. It's it's not the same thing as losing a one-on-one clean match, but it's still a, a, a pinfall. Now, to me, the guy who wins on TV six days or five days before pay-per-view, by definition, is very likely not going to win at the pay-per-view, but instead they're just trying to take the weak link in the match and give him some credibility. Um, but uh, it sure sounds like I'm, I'm uh, drawing, uh, I'm, uh, let's see, uh, Inferring, yeah, inferring from what you said that you, you are not for giving Baron that kind of a boost on SmackDown by having him beat AJ. Yeah, I mean, it just it just sort of fit into, into the discussion we have about protecting certain guys, and 
you know, they have the, the sort of the club of guys that they protect that are generally sort of older stars or people that just sort of grandfathered into that role for whatever reason, like Randy Orton. Um, and to me, you know, there's a, a small group because they've done damage to a lot of people that like should be like the clear protected guys that you book akin to a John Cena a few years ago. I mean, maybe a little bit lower than that, but in that ballpark where the goal is they win almost all of their matches to signify this is somebody that is not just entertaining, but is someone that's special and their matches are important because they don't lose very often. And if they do lose, the stakes are very high and it means something. Um, and they don't put somebody like AJ Styles in that, in that club. And I, I, it wasn't like I was, you know, upset with, with the Baron Corbin thing. I mean, it was, it was very standard booking. It was the sort of thing they'd done tons of times. It's just sort of the, the death of a thousand cuts. And it, it played into what I was talking about earlier, which is, you know, they, they take these guys that, that could be special players and they book them in a way where they're just, they're not special players. And I mean, they've, they've had AJ Styles lose so many time on television in the last year. And like, usually there's an ex, you know, there's a justification for it. Like, I mean, I, I feel like you've, you know, justified it, you know, to some degree, um, for, for most of these losses throughout the, through, you know, throughout the equation. But when you add it up in some, um, it's it's not it's not the picture that I think you want of somebody of of AJ Styles' marketability and Vince McMahon I just don't think thinks of him that way so he's right. not worried about that because he's not as tall um, yeah I mean I mean what else do you say I mean well I guess he's southern too but I mean yeah. you know yeah he's not as tall and he's got <laughs> soccer hair and a bad complexion and he's almost forty and he worked for the other guys and he's an indie darling and he does moves that I don't know the names I mean yeah I mean it's just he's got you know. He's second coming of Daniel Bryan, and I'm irritated by him, but I also value him and respect him. I, I mean, I'll, yeah, I think fa- the thing with AJ is I think fans are worried that that he was he had a good run, and now it's over, and he lost to Corbin. And he's just going to be moved down, and I just don't, yeah, I'm not worried about that. No, no, no. and that's kind of what I'm, ta- I'm trying to talk people off that ledge a little bit when I explain the rationale for why they're doing it. It's sort of the Arn and Tully thing back in the day. They would always job out because Dusty just said they're good enough workers and good enough talkers. They'll, they can talk themselves back into relevance. And I do worry that, yeah, the death by a thousand cuts is a good example. It's sort of like the, the distraction finishes. Every single time they do a finish where somebody comes out, stands on the ring apron, somebody gets distracted, they turn around and they get shocked or blindsided by an attack and lose. I get the rationale by the producer saying this, this helped. We're protecting this person. We're getting heat on this person. It's a tainted win for this person. Totally makes sense. But when you do it twice. Well, I wouldn't go that far. It's <laughs> worse when you do it more, but I, I, I don't think even in isolation it's particularly sound. But you can imagine them saying this makes sense and everybody nodding. I'm just saying that's, but somebody needs to stand up and say, wait a second. We just did this in the first hour and now we're doing it for another match in the second hour. Oh, and, uh, 27 out of the last 31 TV matches that women are in ended this way. So maybe we need to shake things up, even if in isolation you can rationalize that this is, this, this serves a lot of purposes. And with AJ, that's how doing jobs can go. They can go, all right, well, Miz and Dean, we want them to be occupied outside. We don't want to, we can Miz for this reason or Dean for that reason. Blah, blah, blah. We want Corbin to get a boost from beating somebody who people perceive as, as at world title level. That's where AJ, so they rationalize it. But that, you're right, the death by a thousand cuts, it, it, once you're slotted in a certain way by Vince, you get treated a certain way. And AJ is in that, I mean, you're, you're just indisputably right. AJ's not in that protected, that elite protected class. Where, yeah, and where, where a go, loss means something like, but where a loss is very meaningful, like you're saying about Lesnar losing, it's part of a program. AJ losing is just, well, cause that was the finish we wanted to do that we could rationalize. 
Yeah, and, and the, the the problem is, you know, they aren't able to build a lot of interest in these individual shows because there are so few people that are on the regular roster that are in that category of the wins and losses for this person matters. And, yeah. you know, the <laughs> the only people they've protected in that way is baby faces for the last, you know, 10 years have been Roman Reigns and John Cena. And, you know, the, the fans have, have not been – those are – those those – well – John Cena was a guy that he was organically chosen by the fans. Owen Reigns was not. Um, but you know, the fans, you know, the, the fans eventually rescinded their, they rescinded their choice over time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Uh, anything on, uh, Jericho and Owens and the, uh, Festival of Friendship next week and the time they dedicated to hyping that? It's fine by me. I mean, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's still, it's still the same issue with the Jericho Owens breakup where, um, the, you know, like I think people in general, not everybody, but I think people in general like the idea of friendship. Like friendship is like a, a nice thing. So like, you know, like <laughs> when you're setting it up as, you know, like these people are friends, people like the idea of them being friends. And so like, that's why I've sort of been, you know, more uh, liking the idea of just keeping them together. Cause I, I don't think, breaking up this friendship is 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 the emotional journey that fans want to go on and the way that they counter that is by giving an emotional reason to want to see them break up and they won't commit to that because they don't want to tip their hand of which way they're going i think i mean that's a speculation but you know with all of these breakups they won't they won't just tell a story of one of them being a jerk. You know, like it's, it's never that. It's always just like, you know, you wonder if they completely trust each other and they both sort of do things that are good and they both do things that are bad. And there's not really a story that says like one of these guys is a genuine friend to the other and the other guy is taking advantage of them. And if you tell that story, that undermines the, the, uh, the investment people have in the friendship and they'll go with that if they think, okay, the, uh, you know, it would be nice if these guys would be friends, but you know, Owens is really manipulating Jericho and hopefully Jericho sees through, through this at some point and, and rises up against this guy who's taking advantage of him. That's a, that's a, 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 an emotional story with a protagonist and an antagonist and something to invest in. But they haven't done that. It's just these two guys that you're sort of expecting to break up at some point, but you don't have any emotional reason to want to see them break up. You'd rather see them to, together. And so, and we're getting closer and closer and closer and they still haven't planted any of those seeds for making you want to see it. And and that's, I mean, that was the issue for a while with the, the Orton and Bray Wyatt thing. They didn't give you an emotional reason to believe they were together or to want them to separate. It was just sort of this, they threw, you know, they threw them together and they're doing a better job of that of late. Now they're, now they're starting to, you know, plant those seeds to sort of make you think, okay, these guys are actually together. Randy Orton has done a bunch of things to align himself with Bray Wyatt, but you don't, we like Bray, Randy Orton. We don't like Bray Wyatt. And so we're sort of waiting for Randy Orton to turn on this guy. That, that is, you know, that, that's sort of classic build. Yeah. Um, and they're not really building anything with Jericho and Owens. Is it definitive that you think one of them should end up being the baby face and the other, other the heel, if you're, if you are told they're breaking them up? What would be the alternative? That they're both heels, or oh no, what I'm saying, okay, they could stay together, which you've said you kind of like. You like the idea of just keep them together. Fans like friendship, right? 
Yes. So don't break them up. But if you're told they are breaking them up, are you hoping that Jericho goes face or Owens goes face? What's the better scenario? I think either is fine. Um, given that I think Owens, well, I mean, here's the thing. Jericho, I think people like, I think people like Jericho a little bit more than Owens right now, yep. um, because he has the list and the catchphrases. So I think it, it would be a little bit more difficult to, make Jericho the heel in it and Owens the face in it. So I don't think that's the way you turn Owens. Um, so that, you know, that, that lays out a pretty clear argument for, for turning, um, for turning Jericho. And I think that's what they'll do. The flip side is that, you know, as I've indicated many times, I think Owens destiny as is as a baby face. And I think there's a lot more upside in Owens in that role in the years to come than Jericho, just because, you know, Jericho is getting up there in, in, in years and he has other interests and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, I think you want to be turning Owens at some point in the next year, but you know, probably this probably isn't the program for it as you know, as I've, I've said before, I think probably the right scenario is them both turning face together and then, you know, getting, getting caught up with, you know, with issues with heels. And then you can do the, and I don't know how long Jericho wants to get stick around, but you can do the, the classic, wrestling story that they've done plenty of times over the years very effectively in you know territories all over the place where you've got baby faces that are aligned and the heels will go after one of the baby faces and the other baby face will you know vow revenge you know bruno san martino that was a you know big calling card of bruno san martino in japan that's you know a big thing where they'll have you know the stars associated with a younger star that'll they'll tag team together and the the you know the younger guy the less established guy will take the pins against the you know the person that's rising up as the antagonist and then you know the big you know the lead protagonist will then go after the you know will go after the other guy who beat his uh who beat his buddy i think that's a very you know very effective story and if you know given that you have this emotional currency in this friendship if they turn together they're both baby faces we like them they've got this long association together you know then if you do and i mean no they won't do this but you do because they don't like this sort of thing but you do a heavy angle where you know owens you know they lock owens in a in a you know in a room backstage and then the heels do you know a vicious beat down in jericho on the ring and then they carry him off on a stretch i mean this isn't something to do anymore but you know they carry him off on a stretcher and you know the next you know the next week owens comes out there and he vows you know bloody revenge on these terrible heels for for beating up his friend and i'm going to get you on this pay-per-view on you know i you know I'm gonna, he, he cuts his arm with an with an axe and, and swears a blood oath to, to get revenge for for his friend chris jericho like you're that's, not moving that's... closer to what they will do you're moving further <laughs> that's that's what i like that's what i like out of wrestling you know is is some people that are that are worked up and upset and they want to hurt other people um over what's happened i uh, that that's you know, yeah. much more satisfying than, you know, bringing out 15 people who, who tell, you know, lighthearted jokes at each other's expense. <laughs> um, I, I, I think the, the very beginning of that answer is where, where I am on this. And it's like the fans seem to like Jericho more for the reasons you said. And I, I even if some people think, well, Owen's long term needs to be a face, turning him against Jericho is going to lead to some mixed feelings. And I think when Owens turns, you want Owens to turn face in a in a big way that where you're not... It's sort of my argument for, like, why I didn't like, you know, like Sting Undertaker as much as I like, you know, Sting against a heel or Undertaker against a heel. Like, let the fans cheer the legend without mixed feelings. And with Jericho and Owens, I'm kind of there, too. Like, don't turn Owens in a way where fans have 
oh, I kind of like Jericho still. Um, and I don't want to boo Jericho. I think when Owens turns face, have it be something where everyone can get on board. So my vote is for Jericho turning, or stay, uh, my, my, my vote is Jericho staying face, or turning face, sort of staying face, I guess, um, if they break up, if that is the destiny. And what do you think about my idea of bringing back the Joe LaDuke angles in 2017? <laughs> Are you on board with that? Um, yeah, I'm on board with it. I, I think that would Excellent. be, that'd be good for business. <laughs> Ours and theirs. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I had a couple things I was going to bring up on that journey that you were talking about. Something related to somebody turning a potential turn or break up that has a WrestleMania storyline. And I don't think it was Orton Bray, but what other storyline would it be? Um, so I'm going to move on and, and go back to it as opposed to wasting everyone's time <laughs> while they yell at me going, just get to your point. Um, so uh, Elimination Chamber on Sunday. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of all over the place because this almost leads to a preview of the pay-per-view, but that's fine. Um, the uh, do, do you have a pretty solid idea of how things will play out on Sunday? Do you have a few scenarios in your head? Are you worried about what you think they're likely to do? Um, just kind of give some general thoughts, and then I can hone in on some specifics if I have some specifics after that. It seemed so obvious to so many people for a while now that Bray Wyatt wins, um, and it's been speculated so much um, that I, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. Um, I just feel like WWE probably thinks, oh, that's too obvious, and they do have two months still before the pay-per-view. So what I'm expecting now is John Cena retains the title and they work towards Bray Wyatt getting the title from John Cena in the coming weeks. That, that's what I'm expecting now. Okay. And so, but you still see the destination being Orton face one-on-one with Bray and then Cena doing something else. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's the same thing with the Goldberg thing. I'm yeah. expecting John Cena to team with, uh, yeah. with Nikki Bella to face Miz and Maurice. Yep, yep. <laughs> I know. I mean, we're, we we try to talk other scenarios to give ourselves hope and make sure we cover all bases, but I just, I still don't with what I, like, Cena Orton uh, uh, last night. I mean, it was a nice final five minutes for the most part, a couple irritating things, but, you know, the weak STF and Orton cartoonishly tapping out instantly, which only because the ref was down. It's just, it's just like, it's like when you have a two out of three falls match and the first fall happens like right well, away. Well, I mean, I think you I think you can justify it, Wade, and the idea that and and they have to spell this out, but the idea that the heel knows that there isn't a ref because right. usually they'll be pointed in the direction of the referee, and so it's sort of a trick to get the person to release the hold because he knows that the referee isn't there. So th- that that's that sort of the rationale I use. No, I, that's I'm glad you brought that up, and and that's true. But yes, it either, it needs to be spelled out, and I think Orton needs to show it almost in his face. Like, the ST, like, don't have the announcers guessing. Like, have the announcers notice something. Have David Atunga go, Randy Orton didn't, the hold wasn't even applied fully and Randy tapped out. Randy knew the ref went down, but the problem with that, which is better than what they did, is now the heels outsmarting the babyface. And do you want, I'm just not a fan of the babyface being the dumbest guy in the ring. Cause I don't think fans like to cheer dumb people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't like Sting. I mean, Sting was the dumbest guy. Constantly thinking Flair was finally on his side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't Kirk Cousins is very popular here in Washington, Wade. So I'm not sure if we necessarily uh, <laughs> wow. how far we want to go with that. Um, 
Well, in the other, yeah. the, real quick, the other example, Storm, Storm and Rude, like they would, they would, like before they would do their finisher, they would play to the crowd and celebrate and do, you know, their whole, their whole spiel, uh, beer, money, and then they would go to their finisher and the heel would have recovered by then and kicked out. And you're like, you're an idiot. Just, it, wins count, not cheers. You don't get paid on cheers, you get paid on wins. So go for the win and then celebrate afterwards. And then you, you so like, and baby, you know, baby faces do that sometimes. They spend too much time cheering. Orton on, on the, by contrast, was, well, no, actually, I think that was a new difference. Go ahead, Todd. I was going to give an example, but it doesn't fit. <laughs> um, <laughs> a great entryway for me there. Yes, yes, sorry. <laughs> um, <clears throat> That's what I'm all respond, about. I'm trying to make it smooth to my as possible. Trailing off because I, I don't have any more to. to well, pile I was going to say, I mean, just to complicate it, I was going to say Orton stalled before the RKO that Cena kicked out of. But I actually think I remembered it wrong, and when I went back and rewatched it, it wasn't that way. So that's just explaining where my head was. Certainly, you don't want baby faces to look dumb. I, I just, you know, like if there's a logical explanation for what's going on, then you know, like I, I don't, I don't necessarily. I don't necessarily need to have everything spelled out for me if I can make up something that makes sense in my head. Um, I think it's better to explain things, but I mean, the stuff that bothers me the most is when there is an explanation in my head that makes sense. Um, that's where I think, you know, things become, things become dicey. But I mean, if I think on occasion it's, it's, it's okay. And I'm not even necessarily saying this is one of those occasions, but I think, um, sometimes it's fine if, you know, there are reasons you don't want to spell everything out, but you have an idea in your head of why that would make sense. And fans can, you know, spell that out on their own if they, you know, if it's important to them, the story have logic. Um, the, I think that's different than having stories that just, you know, you can't explain, you know, however you want to, you know, fit things together in your head. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, did you like how they handled the, uh, the, the Cena-Orton match itself in terms of, Hyping it, presenting it, the execution of it, and then using it as kind of a conduit for an angle at the end. Is that good use of Cena Orton? I don't even know. I, I don't know. I mean, it's like you know, how do you how do you market this new Tyler Perry movie? It's like, I mean, you could you could do what you want. I mean, he you know, the man is free to keep releasing movies. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be very difficult to get me invested um, in uh, in in Emma Day of Christmas. But okay, I'll, I'll frame it. I, I I like what you said there. Um, but let me let me frame it this way. They've got they've got fifty two main events. They got to present. They got to. It was either ready. it was either that or another Dustin Diamond sex tape. You know those those oh, are God. the two. I like your first choice. Um, and so they've got to come up with fifty two main events. They've got to produce this television. They look and they go, we're not doing Cena Orton, but we can sell SmackDown this week as a you know JBL you know mortgaging his credibility. This might be the WrestleMania main event we're looking at, and it's the first time ever on SmackDown. And it's, you know, these two iconic figures and they, they produced a music, a, a, a video package showing their history together and the parallels. To me, I like, if you're gonna do something, even if you're not gonna deliver an epic 20 minute match of the year and it's, 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 it has served some other purpose other than just an angle at the end, I like that they went all in. I like that they announced a main event ahead of time, hyped the hell out of it on the show, framed it as a big deal. They didn't, ch- even though, yes, we're all, I think we're all bored with Orton and Cena, but if, you, if it's, a match that you don't think you can make money on at house shows or on pay-per-views, but you're offering the SmackDown audience, a couple million people, a chance to see two marquee guys who have never wrestled on SmackDown before, and you can frame it that way. I kind of applaud them for getting something out of it that didn't spend another match that hasn't been played out. 
And I think they got kind of the last bit that you can get out of it. It's sort of the Saturday night's main event formula. Hogan and Terry Funk went around the horn already. Hogan and Hercules went around the horn already. Now we're going to put it on NBC and let the larger audience see it without it hurting ticket sales because we've given away the finish of the match. So I just, I think it was a positive how they, how they, how they got a lot out of a match that could have easily been uh, downplayed or just thrown out there on short notice. Yeah, I mean, I understand the argument you're making of trying to, you know, get as much value out of something, even if it doesn't have as much value as you frame it having. I think that makes or sense. Todd Martin doesn't like it. In the <laughs> <side of> my... <laughs> um, the 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 counterpoint that I would raise simply as a consideration, not necessarily um, arguing against it, yeah. is you also don't want to heavy sell something that you know fans are going to be sort of lukewarm on because then when you heavy sell something that you think fans might get more engaged in they're a little bit more suspicious of 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 your your salesmanship of it if they've seen you do that for something that's less valuable i mean this is the point that i'll frequently bring up with ufc because ufc will you know, we'll hard sell all these different things. And, you know, so years later, I still make fun of, you know, Joe Rogan's sell job of Che Mills. You know, he's a killer. He'll destroy you. You don't know how bad this guy is. He could defeat half the division, you know, in one night. He's so good. You won't believe it. And, you know, he, you know, he loses to Roy McDonald. He loses next three fights. And that's the end of Che Mills. And now <laughs> years later, my, my only memory is, is, you know, Joe Rogan. Wow. He will, he will go absolutely nuts for Che Mills. Um, Joe so when he goes, so, Joe Rogan went so far, and I don't know if you remember this, Todd, but he went so far as to start a GoFundMe campaign for his victims. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> you know he he will, you know, it, and then when Joe Rogan does the same thing for Ronda Rousey and calls her, you know, you know, you know whatever he'd said about that, or Demetrius Johnson, or you know whoever it is, you take it with more of a grain of salt. So that's that's a yeah. consideration on the other side. Like you've got to know when what you're selling has the potential of winning over fans to make people think that actually might be something. And Elvis, Elvis with a Sinichek is my kind of go, is that how you say Elvis Sinichek? He's my go-to guy for that example too. The king of rock and rumble. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean the, the, uh, the, what was I going to say? Um, lost my train of thought when you bring up Elvis Sinichek. <laughs> A blast from the past. Yeah, as far as the, the Saturday Night's Main Event example you brought up, like, w with those, like, people had seen them on the house show loop, but a large percentage of the audience that's watching on television doesn't know that and, you know, isn't even aware of the thing that we've just talked about, of, like, you know, of, the, of the fact that they'd have these guys go around in the house show loop and then they do a television match afterwards because, yeah. you know, they didn't advertise that well and they didn't tell you what was happening on the house shows. You'd have to, you know, read the sheets. And it was a syndicated era where there wasn't one national ubiquitous show that everybody saw to collectively. <laughs> what? Well, no, just the, you, you massacred ubiquitous there. It was, I, it, was it. it was remarkable what you did to that word. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it just, it looks like it just got through a battle with, uh, Jay Mills. Would I ever, would I ever just in the middle of something like that that you did, you know, like draw attention to it and not hit mute while I laughed? <laughs> no, because I don't do that very often, but you do it all the time. 
Thank you. Very nice. Very nice. Um, all right. I'm going to be pushing mute in a minute. Um, in, fairness, in fairness, by the way, because I mean, I think, I think you raise a valid point that it's yeah. poor form to make fun of the person you're talking with in the middle of the conversation, even if it's, you know, it adds to the jovial nature of things. I, I will say, like, there's sort of like a, you know, there's a, a spectrum, right? Where like a little minor error, you just let it go or whatnot. But if, if it's so egregious that everybody listening notices it, then, you know, to not bring attention to it, it's like, a, you know, it's like it's your, your credibility's on the line. Your, Exactly. You're yeah. covering for somebody. You're not pointing out the obvious. So, yes, it, yeah. I feel like, you know, in that instance, it's it's more justifiable. All right. All right. Um, so you had the u- ubiquitous. Perfect. Um, there we go. <laughs> um, Saturday night. Uh, you, you, people did not know back then necessarily that the same match was happening in a bunch of cities. And, and now – you know, that we, people are exposed to and are aware of. And there's that great meme of like, somebody put together, it was like a grid of like an eight by 12 grid of every pay-per-view poster that featured Cena versus Orton in the main event. Um, it was just ridiculous. And so, yeah, there, it, it's a little harder to sell it in that way. But I mean, I, I still, I just, I, I, it's been a while and I, I give them some credit for the first time ever on SmackDown. I, there's going to be like, I don't want to see this match again. And then they're like, Oh, wait. That can't be the They've, first time they ever wrestled on SmackDown. Well, I, I don't think they would lie about that. Oh, it's the first time they ever wrestled on SmackDown Live. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even I didn't even notice them say that. Oh, say they, that, but they yeah, did it, all week. Yeah, it had to it had to have been SmackDown Live. There's there's no way no, those they, guys haven't wrestled on. I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they actually had not wrestled on SmackDown. I think their only, their only matches were on Raw. SmackDown's been a B show or a split brand, and so I. I or split roster. So I, I think it's pretty easy, pretty, uh, it's, it's not hard to imagine that they had not wrestled on SmackDown. I, I think I, you're right on that. I find it very, very hard to imagine just because they wrestled so many times yeah. that it had to have happened at some point. Well, but it didn't have to have happened. You're just thinking it's likely to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it didn't happen to be honest, but <laughs> anyway, um, all right, where the where the heck are we here? Uh Orton Cena. Oh yeah, so all right. Enough on that. <clears throat> okay, so um at Elimination Chamber, let's just let's just preview the damn show now. And we'll go we can pick up little pieces of SmackDown or off if we want to. But so Elimination Chamber, you're shifting to thinking Cena comes out of it as champion. Um they tried to get Baron Corbin credibility. He talked more on talking smack, saying he's got a shot. Dean Ambrose, they didn't really do a lot with him. To put it seem to to give Dean Ambrose fans a, a a sense that you know John Cena and Randy Orton wrestled on SmackDown on August sixteenth, two thousand sixteen. So there you go. One on one, really? That's no it, that's what it says on YouTube. Uh, just last August? Yeah. Seriously, like I said, I mean these guys have wrestled a billion times. They've been hyping all week that this is the first time they've ever wrestled on SmackDown. They didn't say SmackDown Live. I don't know. This is weird. WWE lying. It's it's outrageous. Well, but no, no. The weird part is, is nobody like I just sort of count on this crowdsourcing of fact checking to have made to have had somebody point out there. You know, they just wrestled last August. This is the first time on SmackDown, and they can't say SmackDown Live. That's cheating. Nobody said that. So I, I think just, most people. I think most people just tune them out. Um, yeah. uh, because I mean that's uh, it's John Cena versus Randy Orton on yeah. on. Uh, on SmackDown, nobody nobody really cares that much. I think we yeah, and there's a bunch of videos here. Maybe they yeah. I mean, 
They're also Randy Orton versus Heath Slater matched from the same thing on SmackDown, but, hmm. I like when we do our research on the air, fact-checking. Yeah, it's. It, I think people like it, too. I do, too. <laughs> um, okay, so they didn't do much to make us think Dean Ambrose is real focused on winning the world title in the Elimination Chamber. Um, so I, I like when there's a match like this and they kind of pay lip service to get fans believing that each guy has a chance and motivation to win. But what I think is, is because AJ said, you know, I want to win my title back. And, um, but what I, I didn't hear Miz or Ambrose really cut that, that go home promo, so to speak, to make it seem like this is a, a six way scramble for a championship and all six are believable possible winners. I, I just don't think people are going into this match thinking that. I don't know if it's by design. So if Bray wins, it sort of seems like, well, it's a surprise, but even Bray, and this is my major issue I'm leading to is, if you're going to have him defend a title against Randy Orton at WrestleMania, don't you at some point want to make it seem like he cares about being champion? Yeah, I mean, that, that sort of raises an issue with, with him in general, which is he never seemed, he's never really seemed as a character to be someone that is particularly motivated by titles. Um but, I mean, as a heel, I don't think you necessarily need to feel the motivation as much as you do with the babyface, because the babyface is theoretically the one that's sort of talking you into coming to, to watch him, you know, to, to see him achieve, or her, achieve, uh, his or her goals. Um, and with a heel, if you, you're not motivated the same way of wanting to see those goals achieved, so it doesn't, the motivation, uh, doesn't matter as much so long as it's believable. And I don't think there's anything unbelievable about the idea of, of Bray Wyatt wanting to be champion. Okay. Um, so anything else on the chamber match itself? No. Okay. Um, now, Todd, I don't know if you want to talk on air about the things that you said <laughs> in the production meeting. So I'll just ask you for your thoughts on Alexa Bliss and Naomi in the, uh, can we call it the co-main event? <laughs> I mean, after Naomi's performance on Tuesday, it certainly raced to that level, Todd, right? You know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, say on the air all the terrible things you say about the Chileans. I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's really unfair here. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be, you know, I think a, test of the SmackDown women's division, the critically acclaimed SmackDown women's division. And then, I mean, you have three Smack, and this could be a, this could be a rough pay-per-view in general. Like the, the card does not look particularly enticing, um, with, you know, so much of the, uh, so much of the star power tied up in that main event match. Um, you know, it could be pretty cold, uh, <laughs> couple hours. Ziggler, Cruz, Kalisto, Orton, Harper, Nikki, Natalia, Bliss, Naomi, Lynch, Mickey. I mean, a couple of those are fine if they're third and fourth, but it's like it's a whole undercard of third, fourth, fifth matches. Yeah, it sort of it reminds me of December to, to dismember, um, yeah. and the you know infamous ECW pay per view when they didn't have a lot of depth there. But I mean, clearly, what they're counting on is the women's division. I mean, they have three women's singles, women's mat, three women's singles matches on the same show. All with built up angles. Um, uh, and, you know, here we'll, we'll see how they're able to deliver on it. I'm not, I'm not particularly sold on their ability to, uh, to deliver. I do, I do think Becky and Mickey should be a, a, a good match. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Alexa and, and Naomi, I think, uh, I think could be pretty rough. And, uh, and Nikki and Natalia, you know, that could sort of go either way. So 
you know, we'll see. I think, well, uh, go ahead. A, a lot of focus on this episode of SmackDown, in, in part because they've got six main event men in the main event, and they don't have a lot of depth otherwise. Oh, and by the way, they got a multi-person tag match on the show, too. The, they have three three women's matches. I, I don't remember there being a pay-per-view, three women's matches, period. And they gave each of them time. Um, they had the in-ring segment with four of them. And then they did the uh, the satellite, the, the Chael Tito interview. That actually was more credible and less cheesy than Chael and Tito were. Um, with Nikki and Natalia going back and forth and getting real personal. Uh, did, did you... Did, did anything stand out that you liked in particular or, or didn't like in terms of what they did to, to say, all right, these are the three matches we're going with. Let's try to get people to care. I thought both of the segments were good. Um, I thought the Nikki and Natalia, I, I don't know if they switched up the, the format a little bit in terms of what they were doing, but it felt much more authentic than a lot of these segments. I think having them in separate places works better. Um, than having them sort of stand there in the ring listening to each other. They were sort of cutting each other off, and it felt like they were listening to each other more um, in the set. Not in the – I mean, because, like, they'll, they'll script them so that they play off things the other person said, but it really is sort of one person speaks and the other person speaks for a while, and it doesn't feel like um, sort of a, you know, a, a real-time reaction to what the other person is saying. That felt more real to me. Um, if it was all scripted out like a normal segment – um, they did a much better job of scripting it than they usually do. Um, or the format's just better for it. But I thought that that segment... Or Natalia's really gone crazy and she hates Nikki. Well, I don't know if that necessarily would be associated with going crazy. Um, I, I thought that it was a, I thought it was a good segment. Um, and as far as the, uh, the other segment, I thought that was another, another good segment. I thought that, uh, I thought that, you know, Alexa continues to be a good personality. I thought Mickey was, was better this week. Um, in, in her promo. I thought Becky held up her end. I thought Naomi was fine. I thought it was it was um, it was another uh, a good segment. I mean, I yeah yeah. Well, Mickey James last week, you're down on it. I thought this week some of the same things were present, but it was a little smoother, a little more refined. Um, it, just do you see her on a trajectory right now to be a really good central heel character on SmackDown, or are you are you a little bit not sure still in terms of what you've seen of her performances? Two weeks. Mickey's very talented, and I mean, she's been a uh, she's been a good crazy heel in the past. Um, it, it does become more difficult to uh, play that sort of character as you get to know the person better, um, because the last time she played that, you know, it was very early in her run, and so people didn't have preconceptions about who she is, and sort of they didn't get to know her. Um, you know, I think it becomes harder to play a you know, sort of more over-the-top character. Um, is Natalia, though, setting a good example in that regard? Or do you think Natalia's not succeeding in that way either with all the reality TV she's done? I, I don't know that I, I sort of sense Natalia playing a character. She just sort of seems like sort of a straightforward heel saying mean things to somebody else. Um, Mickey seems more of a character. Oh, okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Dolph Ziggler, Apollo Crews, and Kalisto... Can you fathom why they put uh, a heel against two baby faces? Other than to give Dolph a piece of own medicine for being a braggart? I mean, I feel like because they don't know what they're doing is <laughs> is <laughs> explanatory in the sense that you're asking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that, that that's my natural reaction to that question. Yeah. Is, is it a... Could it be a setup for 
either Kalisto or Cruz turning on the other and aligning with Dolph to form a tag team. I mean, it, it could be. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't know where you go with that. Like, no. oh, Dolph Ziggler's brought Kalisto to his side. <laughs> They're going to do some real damage here. Um, and I mean, they've, they've also been, you know, they've also been feuding with this guy for weeks. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. They, they could do it. But um, I just want Cruz to like go, yeah, Dolph, you're right. Um, I've been booked poorly. I've been jobbed out. I've been made to look foolish. I thought I had uh, people thought that I had a lot a lot more of an upside. Just cut one of those like TNA debut promos and have have Cruz just out of nowhere just say, "Yeah, I'm with you, Dolph. We're we're the tag team," and and then have some like kind of smarty smart, snarky names, you know, the ironic jobbers, and we're you know <laughs> we're gonna go out and take revenge, take take re- try to take out our frustrations on bad booking of our characters and being underappreciated by having really good matches, you know, and taking great bumps um, as heels and getting this as awesome chance for matches. I don't know. All right. Uh, and uh, Orton Harper. Uh, I thought Harper's debut promo was uh, not good. Uh, I don't, I don't call Correct. it debut promo, but <laughs> what? Correct. Yes. Um, it, I, I pointed out the, in particular him saying, it was just, it was so poorly written. It was like someone just melded together lines that a few people wrote and didn't read the whole thing when it was done. But, um, you know, people say the most dangerous man is one who has nothing to lose. But what about somebody who never had anything to begin with? And I'm mad at you for taking my family. It was like, it made no sense. Did you have a family and he took it and you're mad? Or did you never have anything and that makes you more crazy? And the delivery wasn't good. And he, I mean, this is a time if we've been saying, a lot of people have been saying for a long time, Harper looks like somebody who could be more than just the, the, the second or third wheel, or the, I guess the third wheel in a, in a white family, uh, uh, faction. And he's getting a chance. And I, I don't think that promo, it, it's not, it doesn't define him as a failure, but it, it wasn't a good, a good start as kind of a solo promo guy. Look, way there's there's nothing worse than than parsing language and in, uh, in promos very finely, um, and even worse than that was that uh, was that promo by Luke Harper because that was terrible. <laughs> I don't get I, I don't get it. I want to get. It. I don't even want. Maybe I don't want to get it. I don't get what you just did there. Oh, uh, oh, you didn't? Oh, uh-huh. that's too bad. Yeah, um, uh, yeah I, I could repeat it again. You probably get it if I repeat it again, but I, that would sort of be defeating the purpose. Um, yeah, so, uh, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, I mean, Luke Harper's been around for a very long period of time, and, you know, as I've sort of made, made the, uh, the point with a lot of guys, like, past performance is usually a, uh, a good indicator of future results, and this is a guy that, you know, has never had a reputation for being a good promo. I don't think it would be, I don't think, I mean, sometimes people do get better on promos over time, um, but I, I wouldn't have expected it with uh, with him. That's that's not one of his strengths. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I mean, it was showcased there. I just don't think he's had a chance just to be the guy standing there cutting a promo all that often as a babyface who just turned on his you know longtime leader. Um, although I guess they did this one other time and it just got erased from history. But anyway, uh, what what was the point of the tag match on SmackDown? I just genuinely don't understand. The Ascension won. But what what purpose did that serve leading into a match with all the same people just fighting each other? Todd? Oh. He's still there? Sorry, I muted myself. Oh. Um, uh, uh, I think they were just filling up time there. Um, but did they say there was... I thought they like made it sound like the Ascension won and it served... like I thought it gave them some sort of... I don't know. 
Yeah, I heard you say that that made them the number one contenders, and I said, okay, I, I thought, okay, I just missed that, because I, I didn't, yeah. and granted, I mean, I could have just missed that, because, I mean, I missed, like, some of this other stuff about Randy Orton and, and John Cena. I think I think I tune out the announcers more than you do during these shows. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, they, they could have said something like that, but I didn't pick up on that. I thought it was just, you know, like a match with the guys that are going to be in this match, and they gave the Ascension a win, because... You know, they've got these tag teams. If they're going to employ them, they might as well sporadically give some of these other guys an occasional win to give them, you know, a modicum of, of credibility. So I, I can't even knock it. I mean, I, it's my argument from the beginning was just cut these guys because they have no credibility. You're, you're, they, they, they are, you know, they, if you're looking at like, you know, you have like this NBA stats, you know, for like, you know, real plus minus and all these other things, you know, or, or, you know, war and baseball or whatnot. I mean, they're, they're negatives, you know, they're, they're, you know, they, they're negatives versus just a replacement player. So you might as well just bring in a replacement player. But I mean, at the point that you're using these guys, you might as well give them occasional win and they gave them occasional win there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have, I want to go back and watch if I imagined that. I, I really don't want to go back and watch, but I'm sort of feel like I, I need to now to find out what I was, what I heard that made me think something was. Active. Well, maybe they said it and I just missed it. Like I said, well, I mean, there's, they've got like 18 people talking out there at, at, yeah. at a given time and just like, ugh, you know. No, I know. Morrow did not look happy about Tom doing the introductions at the top of the show either this week. <laughs> they went to Morrow and he was just, he was wearing his emotions. Um, on it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's under the weather too. I mean, sometimes it's just like, yeah, just you do it. I, I don't know. But the whole thing is just, it's just awkward. It, uh, Tom I, Phillips sitting there. I, I, I like Morrow, uh, but it was funny, like, like a couple months ago on, on boxing on Showtime. Um, you know, cause Morrow can, you know, be boisterous and he's even more so on, on, on the boxing because I think he feels a little bit more reined in, in, in WWE. And Morrow used, like, you know, Morrow was, was, uh, was being a little out of control as he some, sometimes, can be and Bernstein just got annoyed with him at one point. It was very funny. Uh, I forget what exactly it was, but like, and I think that he, he tried to play it off like it was a joke afterwards, but it certainly didn't seem like a joke to me. Um, I, I wish I could remember wow. the exact context, but um, you know, it was you know some over the top thing, and Bernstein was just like, "Oh, <laughs> I've had enough of this." Yes, yes. <laughs> I would like to see that. I, I I felt that way about Morrow at times. I I thought I I thought he had a slow start on SmackDown. I thought he brought a lot to the end of of uh, of the Cena Orton match when they kind of turned it up at the end. I thought he was doing. I thought he had some moments on SmackDown last night that were good, even though it looked like he was starting off the night kind of grumpy and not fully invested because of it. But who knows? Okay, um, Smojo, uh, week two, uh, they book him against Roman Reigns in the main event. Uh, I didn't cover that with you on Raw yet, but I, I definitely want to. What, what did you think of the Smojo presentation and then giving away Reigns, Reigns Joe and, uh, I guess if you call it a full, if you call it a full-fledged match when they go 10 minutes with a commercial break, um, or did, no, I, did they go 10 straight minutes or was there a break in there? I think they actually, there was definitely, there was definitely a break in there. They might have gone 10 minutes as well, but I, I remember that they, that they had a break at like, you know, 50 or 45 or something, so. Oh, really? Okay, well, but, but I think Rain, didn't they, uh, uh, Joe beat up Reigns before the match, and then they came back and the match started, and I don't know if they also went, I don't think they went to a break once the bell rang. Okay, yeah, I, I, I That's what was, I was wondering, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I sort of just, once, once the, the entrances are in, I'm just sort of considering it, the match is, uh, is oh, off fair and enough, running. yeah. Yeah, so I was just thinking from a time standpoint, I know the match went 10 minutes, but the break happened before the bell because they brawled for two minutes before the bell rang. 
That's nevertheless. Who cares? Just shut up. Shut up, Todd. Shut up. Wait. Move on. Um, so, <laughs> wait, wait. How does shut up, Todd, get into this? I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I was I was channeling what listeners were probably saying. Like, just, well, no, I understood. I understood that, but like, I I I I don't know why they'd blame me. I'm just I'm just sitting here. <laughs> um, shut up, Wade. Let Todd talk. How's that? <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's more like. I figured you'd like that better. So anyway, my question remains: um, What do you think of how they handled Joe Week Two and giving him the match away? Well, I mean, the the big positive is they clearly have put him in a in a high profile position. Um, you know, putting him in the main event immediately, wrestling with you know one of the top players, it establishes him as a guy that is to be taken seriously, and that's a positive because Joe is very talented. And you want to make him a player in the show. And I would, I was certainly expecting that that's what they would do, but that's not necessarily a given. Um, and you know, with what happened last week with Seth Rollins, who knows? Maybe they could get, you know, sort of cold feet on, on Joe for whatever reason. So, well, I guess not for whatever reason, for that reason. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> because of something specific, for some random reason they might, yeah. Yes. Um, so, I mean, the, 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 the negative on it is, you know, Joe is going to have an issue with reactions in the sense that a lot of people like him and it's, you know, it's going to be difficult to consistently book him as a heel, um, particularly early on where people are just sort of happy to see him in WWE for the first time. Um, if you don't book him against the right people and, if you're creating a list of the right people for him to wrestle in order to get a proper heel reaction, the guy at the very bottom of the list, you know, the, 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 the one that you do after each and every other person on the roster is Roman Reigns. And, you know, I thought it was another sign of being really out of touch with the audience that you would match him with, um, with Roman Reigns and, you know, people, I mean, it actually got a better reaction than I was expecting in the sense that, like, people weren't as vehemently behind Joe as I was expecting given the matchup. But it certainly, you know, he certainly got cheered a lot more than you would have want the first week after injuring Seth Rollins and being aligned with Stephanie and uh, and Triple H. And even uh, putting that aside, like, even if you, you don't think that in isolation Joe getting more cheers than booze is a big deal. The bigger problem is just the thing we talk about, which is the audience in general tuning out storylines. And every time you do this stuff um, where you're setting it up for fans to just go in the other direction because of the way you do it, it's just creating this culture where fans don't pay attention to the storylines and just cheer for the people they like. And, you know, it, it makes it more likely that you just get bad reactions everywhere. Like the, you know, the the fans chanting one more time when Ziggler was clobbering the faces with chairs on SmackDown. Like, that's not what you want out of, you know, out of a program. And that's the sort of thing where if you had, if you had more consistent booking throughout the show where people identified largely with the baby face and heels, I don't think that stuff would be happening because that's not, that's not, I don't think really normal, you know, like people like enjoying, I mean, because it's not even like Dolph was particularly over. It was just like, eh, what the hell? He's clobbering these guys with a chair. Like it, it shows a disconnection from the storytelling component of the show. And, you know, I think, you know, every time they book one of these segments where they have somebody that they need to book carefully to ensure that fans are following the story of Joe as this, 
insidious character who's come well, insidious probably overstating the point this you know this this fearsome character is coming in to do the bidding of these bad authority figures if you want to tell that story um and you know going in that people might like joe in this capacity you got to be careful about the way you frame it so that people will invest in that story rather than just oh here comes some ojo i like some ojo oh here comes roman reigns i don't like roman reigns and they aren't even paying attention to the story they're telling which makes it a lot harder to then build up the story of seth rollins coming back it makes it harder for seth rollins makes it hard for triple h makes it harder for everyone up and down the card when the fans are are you know, removing themselves from the storytelling component of the show. And, you know, Roman Reigns and, and, and Samoa Joe is, you know, an obvious red flag of, of, of what, in my view, you don't want to be doing with, with Samoa Joe right at the beginning where you're trying to get people to invest in the story they're telling rather than, you know, just doing whatever the hell they please. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Anything else from either Raw or SmackDown that jumps out as a, Big topic that we didn't get to that you'd like to, or a small thing you took a note on, mental note on, or or a actual note on. I mean, I, I, I was saying thank you, Roman. <laughs> um, I'm look. I'm just scrolling through CMA and jumped out because I didn't have anything. Oh, the the cruiserweight. Um, the, a lot of a lot of time given to the cruiserweights at the end of Raw. Uh, Aries holding court with the uh, the in ring promo. And then moving on to a six-man tag match. Or I just, I, I don't want to do this every single week, as because I think sometimes the answer will be the same. But this, they gave two segments in a row to the cruiserweights. It took up a big chunk of the third hour. They are trying to introduce some new characters and get these personalities over. Was this a better effort? And and did it give you a sense they're really committed, or was this sort of like, could it be pers- looked at framed in a different way? Um, given this much time in the middle of the third hour to two segments to the cruiserweights. Um, I mean, I'm not ready to throw in the towel on them, on them yet. I mean, I mean, it's sort of, I mean, it's your prescription for them, you know, book them like any other part of the show. I mean, that was booked like any other segment, uh, on the show with them being regular wrestlers involved in regular feuds, uh, you know, leading into regular shorter matches. And, you know, I think you've got to look at the, the strengths of, and weaknesses of any, of any characters. And I think by and large, the people in the, the cruiserweight division that they have, their greatest strength is their wrestling ability. Um, their weaknesses are more in the promo and uh, personality standpoint. So if you want to get these guys over, the best route to that is giving them more time in the ring. Um, and you know that that would if you know if that that would be my focus. You know, give Tozawa a twelve-minute match and don't have it be like any other match. Have it be a a more spectacular athletic match and have the announcers highlight um that because that's what they have that's distinct from other people on the show and you know they they booked them like other people on the show and they don't have as many of the positive attributes that make you stand out in the WWE context as other people on the show and they're not getting over as well it, the, the Tazawa um, introduction, if you're going to – this goes to talking about USC. You can't build up an opponent or a match and then lose credibility because it's not there. Um, did did they – do you like the way that they did that? With wait, him? wait, what? What? I'm sorry. I, I missed I – missed, you can't build up credibility and then – No, don't build up – don't build up uh, an opponent 
Oh, don't overhype an opponent. We're talking about UFC in uh, Elvis Sinichek and the the idea of if you if you overstate how good somebody is and they don't deliver, you lose gotcha. credibility in the long run. So, okay. um, with the cruiserweights, you have to be careful um, because if you have mediocre talent, uh, TJ Perkins, you can you can tout what genuinely is something that you is the reason you're pushing him. <laughs> Besides, we didn't sign enough other guys, and he, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever the rationale was, but. When somebody special comes around, you really want to let fans know this guy's special. This isn't just Mustafa Ali who maybe will turn into something and there's, you know, we taught him a little bit. They gave special treatment to Tazawa. Do you, do you, do you think that they hit the right tone with him so that people paid a little more attention to him compared to other cruiserweights that they've introduced? I don't know that I necessarily buy the premise. I, I'd have to rewatch the segments. It felt a lot like the other segments to me. Um, you know, having Cesaro, Cesaro was putting over pretty, him pretty strong, so I think that helped. But it felt similar to the things they've done for, you know, Mustafa Ali and Davari and Gallagher and all these people. That, I mean, it's sort of the short promo package, sort of trying to build them up, and then they go into a match. So it, it felt sort of similar to me. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe they did do a little bit more, and I just didn't jump out for me for, for, for some reason, or maybe. It struck you a little bit more because it had more credibility because you were expecting more from Tozawa to begin with. Whereas, you know, video package for someone you're not expecting as much, you may not be, um, it may not jump out as you, uh, jump out at you as much because your expectations are, are lower to begin with. Um, I'm not sure one way or another, but, um, it, again, it didn't jump out at me that, that this felt, you know, uh, a qualitatively different in, in, in type. Okay. Um, all right. Why don't we uh, wrap up part one on that note and come back? I want to talk to you about the XFL documentary, the uh, WrestleMania Dallas documentary. We also have uh, – oh, I want to talk about Impact a little bit, a couple other things, and then we'll also get to Mailbag and uh, UFC. I think we can do that relatively rapid-fire fashion in part two. So this wraps up part one of The Fix with Todd Martin for February 8th. Good job, Todd. Thank you. Wait, that makes you feel better. You're welcome. <laughs> Just try to build up the morale for part two. 